0: On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor, Mike Beaumont, to trace the life of Jesus, then and now.
1: For this conversation, Mike, we've returned to Nazareth. We were there right at the very beginning of this series. And here we are again. This is his childhood. We're looking at the childhood of Jesus. This is where Jesus grew up, Nazareth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, When we read Matthew's Gospel, we read that uh, Jesus and his family had had to flee from Herod, who we looked at in a previous episode, and they fled down to Egypt. And eventually, when Herod the Great died, they felt it was safe to come back to Israel. But Herod's kingdom was divided between his sons after his death and, and the end of Matthew 2 tells us that when they heard that Herod Archelaus, who was, had a reputation of being a really cruel ruler, was in charge down south, they decided to come back here to Nazareth and it will be here that he'll spend the next 30 or so years of his life.
1: I remember you said Nazareth itself then, about
0: two hundred people, a small backwater of a place. Yeah, absolutely a backwater. And it's almost as if God chose this place to to keep his son in hiding for those years, during this time of of preparation for the work that he would do not just in Nazareth, not just in Israel, but through the whole world ultimately, of course.
1: No, we're just outside the Church of St. Joseph. We'll find out a little bit more about it in a moment. Um, I can probably hear somebody cleaning in the background, and there's a small <laughs> group being shown around. Let's just you know life carries on, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, as we th- reflect on uh, the child of Jesus, I mean, are there many references in the Bible to
0: that? Do you know what? There aren't an awful lot, though there are some so-called apocryphal gospels accounts of the life of Jesus that were written usually in the second century AD that had all sorts of weird and wonderful stories created about him, that the early church very quickly rejected as saying this is not the Jesus that we recognise. So things like the so-called Gospel of Thomas had uh, Jesus making pigeons of clay when he was a little boy, breathing on them and them flying away. And the early church thought, do you know what? Is that the sort of Jesus that we know from the true Gospels, uh, a gimmick doer? No, it's not. And so those sort of Gospels created lots of stories about the childhood of Jesus. But the four canonical Gospels, the four Gospels that we have in the Bible, actually tell us very little, though we can piece together a fair amount from the data that it gives us
1: so which verses would you point us in the direction
0: of if we wanted to find out what the bible says about the childhood of jesus (laughs) well it's luke who actually uh, tells us most and in saying most you know that's probably an overstatement uh but again it's perhaps the best thing to do is for us just to read those few verses at the end of luke chapter 2 and and then talk about them so let's start reading at luke 2 41. every year his parents went to jerusalem for the feast of the Passover and when he was 12 years old they went up to the feast according to the custom and after the feast was over while his parents were returning home the boy Jesus the boy Jesus notes so he's still young here stayed behind in Jerusalem but they were unaware of it thinking it was in their company they traveled on for a day and began looking for him among their relatives and friends and when they didn't find him they went back to Jerusalem to look for him After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men.
1: Here we are in Nazareth, but you've just referenced Jerusalem. I mean, that's a long way from here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have, they would have normally travelled sort of in convoy, which is why they'd lost him. You know, mum thought he was travelling with the men... And Dad thought he was travelling with the women because he was about 12 years old. So, you know, is he a man? Is he a boy? Which group is he travelling with? Uh, And it would have probably taken them, I don't know, two or three days to get down there. In terms of his family, you know, you've mentioned Jesus specifically. Brothers and sisters? Well, according to the Gospels, absolutely. Absolutely. although in some Christian traditions, wanting to maintain what they call the perpetual virginity of Mary, that means that Mary remained a virgin throughout her life. But actually, the evidence in the New Testament is very clear that Jesus had both brothers and sisters. In other words, after his birth, Joseph and Mary had a normal marital relationship, and other brothers and sisters Uh, were born to him. We know that because his brothers and sisters came looking for him on one occasion and tried to drag him home thinking he'd gone mad with all his teaching. So clearly at that point, they didn't believe in him. So we've got a glimpse of a sense
1: of family life then for Jesus.
0: Yes, and it would have been traditional Jewish family life. Jesus learning the trade of his father, which we'll perhaps come back to in a moment. But also, Jesus being brought up as as a good Jewish boy, it's clear this was a godly family. In a previous episode, we saw Mary's godly response to the angel Gabriel. We referenced Joseph's godly response when he had that dream. And here, just in that reading that we had, we read that every year his parents went to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, it was a requirement for all devout Jews to attend the temple three times a year for Passover, Pentecost and tabernacles. So clearly this was written into their rhythm of life. Um, So even that little thing, you know, I said at the beginning, we don't get a lot of data, but we can draw some things out from it. So it's clear that that Jesus was brought up in a godly family. His practice of attending the synagogue every week was something that would have been inculcated in him from being a young boy.
1: It's worth just pausing there for a second and just reflecting on the fact that, you know, today children, of course, are going to be influenced by the example of their parents. And if they've got Christian parents, that you would have thought would have some influence on them.
0: Yes, one would hope so, certainly, wouldn't they? But I think, you know, one of the key things is this was clearly a godly family, that ran through the whole of the week, not just on Sunday. And I think sometimes Christian parents today can fall into the trap of thinking that if they take their children along to church or Sunday school on Sunday, maybe drag them along by the time they're teenagers, that the message will go in. Well, I'm sure something does go in, you know, even if they go through a period of apparently rejecting it. But, you know, kids and young people are very astute. They see through things. And what they need to see is what I think Jesus saw in his parents, his godly example through the week. So they see mum and dad living out faith in Jesus. They see that if a a gas bill comes that they can't pay, they're all sitting down as a family praying about this, giving it to God together, and not just turning up to church on Sunday.
1: Have you ever thought that, you know, these, dare I say, missing years in the gospels about the childhood of Jesus, you know, the, the scant information, scant references, it's frustrating that
0: isn't it it is for us isn't it because we are used to having sort of biographies where we learn all the details the backstory you know if we read a biography of someone famous we want to know all that happened but of course the gospels are being written not to give us a biography the very word gospel they took as a and almost created a new literary genre with it. The word gospel, euangelion, meant an announcement of good news. And really what the Gospels, the four canonical Gospels, are being written for is this announcement of good news. They want us to know why Jesus came and what Jesus did. So in a sense, that stuff that fascinates us, the backstory, really wasn't crucial to their story. And that's why we get so little about it.
1: Now, as we've come to just outside this church of St Joseph, there's this very large, almost life-size bronze statue of Joseph in the kind of courtyard there, surrounded with trees. And there are, there's a group now just gathered around taking photographs. And I noticed that the, the bronze of his knee <laughs> is kind of worn away, oh, as yes. it were.
0: yes. Yeah, so we came in, didn't we, through, well, where we started this series, by the Church of the Annunciation, walked across the courtyard to the left, up the steps, and, yeah, walked past this statue of Joseph. And uh, it, it's a bronze statue, but the the knees are very, very shiny indeed, and it's where pilgrims over the years have have touched the statue or stroked it or blessed it or maybe even kissed it, uh, and it's just years and years have been touching that while the rest of the statue is tarnished the knees that have been touched by generations of pilgrims have have made it very very shiny indeed
1: and joseph himself i suppose is, is someone in the gospel so the father of jesus that again there's not not that much information i mean do we ever hear anything that he said for example
0: no we we read of things that he decided to do like when he heard what the angel said and he decided to move his family and when god speaks to him and he comes back to nazareth rather than going back to the south so we don't actually get a record of his words but we get again enough of glimpses to know that joseph was an incredibly godly man also and very often in christian tradition it's been mary that has been honored but you know what joseph took as many steps of faith in those early days as Mary did, and was just as formative in those early years of the life of Jesus. So this little church, and it's little
1: in comparison to the Church of the Annunciation is, next it? door, it's sort of in its shadow, really. Very much. Beautiful little church. Maybe just describe it. And and what can you see as you go on into the church and down below?
0: Yeah, it, do you know what? It is in the shadow of the other church. And very often, uh, pilgrims and tourists miss coming here because they're so in awe of the The big limestone church that we've seen over there. This is a a modern church built in 1914 by the Franciscans uh, in honour of uh, Joseph. And uh, looks very traditional in terms of how the church looks and when you go inside. One of the things you see when you go inside is it's very clear that this is the church of St. Joseph. Many Christians will be familiar with pictures and statues of Mary in their churches, but in here as you go in, right up above the altar, the very front of the church, is a beautiful painting just above the altar of Joseph, the boy Jesus and Mary, and uh, highlighting that, that Joseph very much had a role in Jesus's life as well. And just a very beautiful, simple church built on the site of what was believed to possibly have been Joseph's workshop.
1: So as you go in and then down, you go down some steps, is that right? And what, yeah. what do you see below?
0: Yeah, so you've got the church on ground floor level, but as you say, if you go to the left and go down steps, it takes you down to actually what you discover all over Nazareth, uh, guide was just telling us earlier that uh, whenever people do any extensions to their home it's not long before they make some archaeological discovery and down below in the rock bed there are caves there are cisterns there are cave homes and there's a whole number of them beneath this church here which is why it was built in this area and it's perhaps easy for us to forget that in biblical times, many people, many poor people, would have lived not in, in brick-built homes, but in caves. Caves were very much the home of the poor. If they were not quite as poor, they might have had a cave with a bit of a home built on in front. And do you know what? That instantly flags up to us something about the family of Jesus. He was not born into a rich family. You know, he, he was born into very much an average working-class family of those days that that was not that wealthy so down there there are some caves from that period and tradition says that one of them was the original workshop of joseph where he carried out his trade whether that is so or not it may not be the very site, but you know what it was very close to here and so coming here is a just a great opportunity to stop and reflect on how it absolutely would have been
1: and the fact that jesus was then born into a family that wasn't particularly wealthy, in fact, if anything was, was poor, what would that have
0: taught Jesus? Do you know what? I think one of the things it would have trained him in is dependence on God. Because the poor have to depend on God in a way that the rich don't. You know, if you've got a bank account and there's a fair amount of money in, an unexpected bill comes and, well, you just transfer the money, don't you? But if you have nothing then it really throws you on god and when i said that you know it would have trained jesus independence on god that helps bring home what we looked at in our very first episode the incarnation that god truly took on flesh god really became a human being a real human being he was not like clark kent who rips back his shirt and reveals superman underneath no god truly fully became man he he was God yet he became fully human and and as a human he had to he had to learn he he had to grow up it was interesting at the end of that passage in Luke that I just read we we read there that Jesus grew in wisdom in stature in favor with God and man in other words he grew mentally or intellectually he grew physically he grew spiritually he grew socially He had to grow up and develop as much as we do. And so I think being in that poor family from an early age would definitely have taught him, son, we have to depend on God. You know that, don't you? The trouble is we don't have any sense of whether he was a terrible teenager. (laughs) We don't because we don't have anything in those years. But I suspect he wasn't. I mean, the Bible tells us that he grew up and he was without sin. Um, He never broke God's law. Did he disappoint his mum and dad at times? Well, clearly in the story that we've just read, he did and gets a bit of a rebuke from his mum. Son, didn't you realise we'd be worried about you? I once lost my young daughter in a branch of W.H. Smith and I know the dread panic of them not being there. And clearly, while he wasn't doing anything wrong, he was being obedient to his heavenly father. He, he caused some disappointment and panic there. So I suspect he he had to grow and, and learn things. There's an interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, which talks about him learning obedience. Now, I don't think that that means, you know, he necessarily had to learn to obey after some moral failure but rather what it's saying is you know what he learned how to obey God through the hard knocks of life God did not come into this world cocooned in a bubble to be protected he knew the hard knocks of life and he learned how to be obedient to God through them all through learning to do what his word said and trusting in his holy spirit
1: and for us today learning obedience is that one of the most important lessons we can focus on
0: absolutely you know i I don't think obedience comes to any of us easily there's a bit of a rebel in all of us at times isn't there and there's particularly a bit of a rebel when we read part of god's word that cuts across what we think or what our culture says or what we would like to do and it's at that point the challenge comes then who will you listen to Will you listen to your own desires? Will you listen to your own culture? Or will you listen to what God says, even if it cuts across you, even if it seems illogical? And will you trust that when we do what God says, God will always have an answer and come to our rescue and take us through?
1: When you were reminding us that Jesus went with his family to Jerusalem, a long way from us here in Nazareth, two things spring to mind. One is his age... So was he coming of age, as it were, at that point? And secondly, at that age, because he was the firstborn son, did he have sort of family responsibilities?
0: Yes. Um, You know, the Jewish tradition of the Bar Mitzvah, or the Bat Mitzvah, if you're a girl, uh, that happens at the age of 12, 13 these days, uh, is a mark of manhood or womanhood when you are now responsible for accountability to God for keeping his law yourself. Now did that happen in Jesus's time? Scholars simply don't know. But it's interesting that Luke notes this story of when he was 12 years old which tends to suggest there was something important about that time. So it looks like this was the point at which he was about to become a man in terms of access responsibility for his own actions and your second question would he have responsibility for the family Uh, absolutely you know one of the things that scholars have noticed over many years now is that Joseph disappears from the gospel stories after these early chapters and that's not because he's unimportant we've been shown he's very important but it seems quite likely that Joseph might have died at an early age. It's quite possible he was he was quite a bit older than Mary and so if he died at an early age then Jesus would have been responsible as eldest son for bringing up the family especially now that he was a man and caring for them, providing for them, keeping the family business going and that would actually explain why he didn't start his ministry until the age of 30 because he's taken on this responsibility of caring for his mother and his brothers and sisters
1: i want to just go back a little bit because here we are outside the church of saint joseph you can hear tourists uh, in the background probably just uh, moving along with flags of the nation so all the world comes to this particular <laughs> little church but joseph himself and and the fact that you said earlier that of course as a family they fled to egypt That little bit of the story, the Christmas story, which sometimes we don't even hear, actually, at Christmas time, is worth bearing in mind. Here we are in Nazareth. It's one thing for the family to have gone to Jerusalem, but Egypt, I mean, Egypt, from here, seems like
0: a long, long way away. That's, that's, that's... Yeah, and of course, that was the point of it. They wanted to get as far away from Herod as possible. We've seen in a previous story Herod's genocide of all the young baby boys under the age of two. I think I would flee far away. get away from that if i wanted to protect my children and so yeah they went a very very long way well out of reach of herod is the point he would have no jurisdiction down there in egypt though it's interesting that matthew tells us that when that happened and he returned it was to fulfill what the prophet had said. Matthew never misses a moment to be able to say, and this fulfilled yet another scripture, yet another prophecy. Out of Egypt I have called my son. God did that once with his people, Israel. He does it again now with his son and the new people of both Jewish believer and Gentile believer who will believe in him. So, as you say, after all
1: of that, they come back to Nazareth and Jesus grows up as Mary's son and as Joseph's son. And I know, sort of elsewhere in the Bible, you, 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 you hear that connection between particularly father and son, don't you? Son of. Um, so that connection
0: between Jesus and Joseph is, is obviously
1: still important and, and represented here by this, this little, lovely little church.
0: Yes, um, very much so. The connection between fathers and sons was very important at that time, still is, in Judaism. But, of course, what his father would have been responsible for is not just teaching him godly ways, teaching him the law, making sure he was there in synagogue, but would have been responsible for training him up in the family business. What was the family business? Well, we are used to hearing of Jesus the carpenter, aren't we, and Joseph the carpenter. But, you know, the word that's used in the New Testament of that word, carpenter, tectone. It's not really a carpenter in our sense of that word today. A carpenter today for us is someone who deals solely in making things out of wood. Mm. It's probably what we would call today the small builder. Uh, for American listeners, he's, he's in the construction business. <laughs> so he would have done things with a mix of wood and stone. So he would have been involved in a, in a whole variety of things and would have learned that trade... Uh, from his father that, yeah, is commemorated here in a number of pictures that are around on the walls of St. Joseph's Church here.
1: Where's that sort of slight misinformation come from then that we think of Jesus the carpenter?
0: It's probably the same place as the donkey at Christmas, you know. Um, It it creeps in. I, I think it was one of the ways that the word was translated originally. We've got much more access to other documents now and know that Tectone has a much wider range than carpenter. It doesn't exclude that and you know we said in the previous episode Nazareth was a small village of a couple of hundred people they would probably have only been one carpenter in a place like that and so he would have done everything from make your tables to make the ladders to get up on your roof where you dry your washing and your grain to repairing your door or putting back the wall if it had got blown down by the wind so he would have been a, a sort of general building tradesman, and i love that fact and we'll look at this again in another episode that that jesus worked with his hands he was a real working man
1: obviously here where we are little church there's no sort of sign of any kind of workshop or anything like that is there anywhere near here where you would get a greater sense of
0: of that. Absolutely. Do you know, and if our listeners do come and do a visit to Israel one day, and we really hope they will out of this series, don't we? There's a fantastic place just down the road from here called the Nazareth Village. And it is a recreation of how Nazareth would have looked in the time of Jesus, it's a wonderful place. You can wander down narrow paths between the fields that make sense of Jesus telling the story, the parable of the sower and the seed falling onto the rock or into the weeds. You, you'll see people, volunteers dressed up as as shepherds looking after sheep and so on. There, there's a wine press there, there's, there are vineyards there. Um, there's a synagogue there, quite a small synagogue. And we'll look at the synagogue in a, in a future episode. But a, a pretty small place that Jesus would have gone to each week but but two of the best places there's there's a home where we'll find a, a woman giving demonstrations of spinning with wool and so on. But the best place for me is the carpenter's workshop. and there you can see a recreation of how the carpenter's workshop would have looked in Jesus' time with tools from those times and there's always a guy there it's always been the same guy whenever I've been there uh, actually using those tools drills and saws and chisels and so on and showing us the sort of things that that Jesus you know would have used and you know perhaps even nicked his skin with occasionally and you know one of the other big lessons for me and I think of this whenever I go down to the Carpenters' Workshop at Nazareth Village is, what on earth was God doing, leaving Jesus there, hidden away for 30 years when there was so much to be done? And I was visiting that Carpenters' Workshop a few years ago and I felt God put a particular scripture on my heart. It's Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 3, where Isaiah says, "'Listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations,' Before I was born, the Lord called me. He's clearly looking ahead to the coming Messiah here. From my birth he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. Now just hear that verse again. He made me like a polished arrow arrows were polished to make them fly through the air swifter and sharper mm. he made me like a polished arrow what would you expect to do with a polished arrow well you'd expect to put it in your bow and fire it against the enemy wouldn't you yeah but no. what do we see Isaiah sees would happen he says he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver mm. hid me away do you know what and that's exactly what happened to Jesus, it's as if God hid him away in Nazareth, in that carpenter's workshop, in a little place here or not far from here and there in that carpenter's workshop he was concealed for some thirty years while God prepared and trained him and just as that arrow was in the dark quiver so Jesus was in, you know, that sort of dark hidden place unseen by anyone ministry not starting yet but there is for me such a principle there you know that sometimes we can feel you know god i thought you said this i thought you were preparing me for that and then it looks like god goes and puts us in a quiver hides us away somewhere and i'd want to say to anyone who feels in that situation at the moment That's fine. That's exactly what he did with his son Jesus. Don't yank yourself out of the quiver too quick. Wait for God's moment to pull you out of the quiver and fire you, which is of course exactly what Jesus did. Stayed hidden in that quiver here in Nazareth, in the carpenter's workshop. Learning life, learning to trust God, bringing up his family until that moment came when God said, now and took him out of his quiver and fired him into the world.
1: And I'm sure as we're listening to this, you know, as you say, there will be people thinking, yes, I've been waiting a long time for my destiny to
0: unfold. But yeah. in the waiting, there is value. Absolutely. One of my, I was going to say one of my favourite verses. <laughs> I don't know if I love it or not. Isaiah 64 Since ancient times, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. God acts while I wait. trouble is most of us want to turn that round and make God wait while we act. And I'd say to any listeners who are in that position, if you're waiting, just keep waiting. Don't force God's moment. Don't rush God's moment. It will surely come. Keep trusting, just like Jesus did here in Nazareth.
1: Well, as we finish sitting outside
0: this lovely church, just pray, Mike, please. Lord Jesus, here in this place, where we remember that you grew up and your earthly father trained you even while you were training him too, we pause to remember that you didn't rush into ministry. You were hidden away, and you waited for your Father's moment. But when that moment came, wow. What happened through that? So Lord, help us too, in our waiting times, to keep trusting you like Jesus did. Knowing that when the moment's right, you'll take us out of that quiver And you'll fire us out for your purpose, as surely as you did with your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Mike Beaumont and David
0: Taverner in the Holy Land, tracing the life of Jesus, then and now. Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references, and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus then and now. And you can hear more 30-minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB Player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs, or Bible surprises.